Support for this podcast's content and questions are brought to you by several New Trier High School alumni who, on their own volition, decided not to attend an Ivy League school. Be sure to subscribe to the I Know a Guy podcast available soon on iTunes and TuneIn Radio and share the episodes on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash I know a guy. Welcome into another episode of I Know a Guy. I'm Spencer Siegel. We are recording on Monday, March 20th, and this week's guest just had a hell of a week and a half. I'm thrilled to have Princeton University and Nutra High School's very own Stephen Cook on the podcast. Stephen led Nutrier to a school record 28 wins in 2013, helping them reach the Super Sectionals. This year, he racked up first-team All-Ivy League honors as a senior at Princeton, led the Tigers in points per game, became the university's first academic All-American since 1998, and was a three-time Ivy League Player of the Week, finished as Princeton's 15th leading scorer all-time with over 1,100 points, and oh yeah, he's still going to be at the Final Four in Phoenix this year. A little bit more on that later. Uh, Steve, from one neutral alum to another, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Spencer. So uh, as an academic All-American majoring in economics, I don't need to convince everyone on where your knowledgeable strengths lie, but on this podcast, we do what you like in the world of sports and also what you're a fan of. So besides Nutria and Princeton, where does your fandom lie? Uh, well, let's see. Um, you know, being from the Chicago area, obviously a lot of Chicago stuff. So I guess first and for- foremost, my fandom lies with the uh, Chicago Bulls. Uh, you know, I grew up a Bulls fan. You know, Michael Jordan is my favorite player ever. So always, always watching the games, even when I'm out east. And, you know, beyond that, pretty much any Chicago sport ever. And, you know, as always, I'm always following uh, the New Jersey Trevians and what's going on there. So uh, Chicago, born and raised, still Chicago now. Well, I was actually going to save this for later. But as long as you mentioned the Bulls, have you checked to see when the Windy City Bulls tryouts are yet? Uh, you know, uh Working on a lot of things right now is, you know, with regards to uh, basketball after Princeton. But, uh, you know, I'm always open for an opportunity with, you know, everything, anything having to do with the Bulls. So wouldn't be against that. Well, we've got a lot that we'll get into today on the basketball side of things. And uh, what I want to do is talk about this tournament appearance that Princeton made, which for, for everybody at, at New Trier, I think everyone was happy to see a New Trier alum head to the NCAA tournament and root for them as they went through it. Princeton getting the 12 seed against Notre Dame and playing on Thursday in the very first game. So I try to stay away from as many of the cliche questions as possible, but I can't help myself with this one. You're the first game. You're getting the madness started. What's the feeling walking out for tip-off? Uh, you know, it was, it was amazing. It's, it's something you dream about as a kid. A big reason I wanted to play basketball in the first place was uh, to play in the – or play basketball in college was to play in the NCAA tournament. So – uh, you know, walking out on that floor, knowing the history of Princeton in the, in the NCAA tournament and, you know, what we had the opportunity to do that day, it was, it was pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, tried to make the most of it, ended up having a close game, just w- wish that last shot dropped on our end, you know, an incredible experience. 
from your angle, did it look like it was going in that final three? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Devin Kennedy, who took that shot, has made countless shots like that before. Uh, you know, part of the reason we were in that position to begin with. So as soon as I saw it left, leave his hands, you know, I thought it was going in. You know, it was a pretty exciting moment. But, you know, unfortunately, they can't all drop. Do you own a puppy? I do. You do. Would you have given up your puppy to have that shot go in? Whew, that is that is an incredibly tough question. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm not saying I wouldn't. It, it would be, uh, you know, an incredible feeling. So might be worth it. Who knows? <laughs> so you're, you're a new Trier guy. You're North Shore. You know what everything is like over here. Did playing Notre Dame just feel like you were playing a, a bunch of kids from Loyola? Uh, a little bit, to be honest. Uh, you know, they, they, they're a really similar team to how we were. Uh, you know, I actually rewatched the game, and uh, I don't know how everybody else felt about it, but it was a pretty boring game because it kind of seemed like two solid teams just not playing very well. And, uh, I mean, Notre Dame's a great team, obviously, but, uh, you know, a lot of similarities between, between us two, and uh, unfortunately it went their way. Did you beat up any leprechauns on St. Patrick's Day? Uh, I did not, unfortunately. I probably would if I had seen any, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, not too many leprechauns that I know of in New Jersey. You guys were the 12 seed, and the 12-5 matchup is always the one that all of the experts like to look at and predict who the upset's going to be. Did you know, have an idea of where your team was going to be seated before Selection Sunday? Uh, you know, the 12 spot is where a lot of Ivy League teams ended up in the past. That's where Yale was uh, this past year. And that's when they beat Baylor. So, uh, you know, looking at our RPI, Pomeroy, those sort of rankings, we checked those and, you know, it seemed like an appropriate spot. But we really liked our matchup. Like I said, Notre Dame's a great team. But, uh, you know, I thought we thought we matched up well against them, and that's how it played out during the game. How did matching up against Notre Dame compare to, say, matching up against Jabari Parker when you were playing as a senior at Nutrier? Uh, it, it was different. Uh, it, it was definitely a different matchup, you know, uh, playing Jabari as a senior, he was, uh, you know, the number one, number two player in the country, something like that. He was, you know, you watch his, uh, highlight videos on hoop mixtape and, uh, you know, you watch him now in the NBA, he was just kind of like a physical specimen for a high school team to be playing against. Uh, and they had a number of good, uh, players on that team in addition to Jabari, but playing against Notre Dame, we thought we were really well matched up. You know, the one thing that kind of gave us trouble was Bonzi Colson, who was a first-team All-ACC, you know, an incredible basketball player. But, you know, besides that matchup, I thought we could play and match up well against everybody on the Notre Dame team. So it, was, there were, it really wasn't that feeling of, you know, playing against like a freak of nature like Jabari Parker, that's that sort of stuff. Uh, we thought we were well-matched. Yeah, and you don't see a whole lot of six-five guys built the way Bonzi Colson's built. Right, right. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely an incredible basketball player himself. But at the same time, we could have ended up uh, against Purdue or somebody like that with, you know, Caleb Swinnigan or, you know, Haas, who, are, who would have been a little tougher for us to match up as a smaller team ourselves. So transitioning a little bit, I said you're going to the Final Four. The National Association of Basketball Coaches select the All-State NABC Good Works team. And uh, I'll read a little bit about the award for people who don't know. The award recognizes a unique group of men's and women's college basketball student-athletes who stand out for their charitable achievements and community involvement. And you are headed to the Final Four in Phoenix for a community service project and to be recognized. How did you find out you were selected as a part of the Good Works team? 
Uh, well, to be honest, it was a little bit of a surprise. I I'd heard my coach Mitch Henderson had nominated me for the award, but you know I heard like 200 plus people were nominated, so I really wasn't expecting much from it. And then you know one day, our our basketball operations guy texts me and he says, "You're you're one of the five who gets to go to the Final Four. So that was pretty incredible. You know, it was a pretty cool feeling to be recognized for you know some of the work I was doing off the court, which. You know, I don't. I don't try to really make a big deal of of that sort of stuff, but you know, it goes. It, it's nice when it goes recognized. Did you uh, do you know what kind of project that you'll be working on once you get down there? Uh, you know, they. I just got the email of uh, the full schedule about an hour ago. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it, but uh, you know, it's selling community service related in in the Phoenix area. So you know, whatever they have us doing down there, I, I'm I'm really excited about it. How did New Trier help you grow into the kind of person who deserves an award like this? Uh, you know, the great thing about New Trier is you have so many opportunities to uh, to sort of pursue what you're interested in. And, you know, that's the great thing about the New Trier community in general. And, you know, playing basketball, I was obviously very busy uh, during my time in high school. But, you know, New Trier is such a big community that you can, you know, find other things to do in addition. And, one thing my family always stressed was, uh, you know, community service and helping others in some capacity, uh, no matter how busy you are, what you have going on in your lives. And that was that was a big advantage of being raised in, in uh, you know, that atmosphere, that environment where something like that is encouraged. Okay, so what type of basketball, then, for people who don't know about the Ivy League, can you expect from conference play? Well, uh, the Ivy League is known for smart high quality basketball um it's probably a good place to start (laughs) right (laughs) yeah exactly i mean it kind of reflects the type of schools you're at uh you see in the ivy league to be honest Uh, it's a lot of high level thinking it used to be known for being a less athletic league and being you know slower pace and that sort of stuff but that's actually changed uh, a lot in the past 10 years you know the recruiting is really amped up i think a lot of kids are starting to realize what sort of opportunities you know, are available to, uh, you know, when you go to an Ivy League school, and that's why we're getting more like top 100 recruits, that sort of stuff. So, you know, the the reputation of being really smart and, you know, hard-nosed basketball is still there, but, you know, the, the speed and athleticism and all of those factors are also really increasing in the league. Well, I think part of that, too, you and I growing up close to Evanston, is the same thing happening with Northwestern is that the emphasis on education usually leads to various inner city schools or schools in surrounding areas that didn't have as much emphasis in the past are now starting to not only develop basketball players, but scholars as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, it sounds simple, but kids are realizing that, you know, at some point the ball is going to stop bouncing and, you know, what you can do to prepare yourself for that moment, uh, whether it comes, you know, right after college, you know, after an injury playing professionally or after 10, 15 years in the league, uh, an Ivy League education in your back pocket doesn't really hurt. You know, and the same thing goes for Northwestern. So I think that's why recruiting is really ramping up in, in uh, those leagues and those schools. Is there sort of an understanding with the 10 people that are on the court when you play Ivy League games, whether it's Princeton, Harvard, Yale, whoever it may be, that pretty much everybody coming out of college is going to be making at least $75,000 a year? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's not something that's discussed, I, I would say, openly on the court, you know, as I'm playing Yale or Harvard, but it's, uh, you know, it's a big reason why, why kids go there in the first place, you know, not only for uh, the basketball, but for the opportunities that are afforded to you after 
And so it's definitely an understanding between the two, but you know, that doesn't stop the competitiveness. Yeah. I, uh, I should rephrase. I should rephrase. I should say something more along the lines of you look across the court and you know that that person might be able to assemble a rocket from start to finish. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're, you're playing against guys who are future nuclear physicists. That's not, that's not the track I'm heading down, but uh, you know, you are playing against those sorts, those sorts of people. And, you know, it's pretty incredible uh, what they're doing off the court on top of what they're doing on the court. Do you feel that mid-majors don't get enough respect? I, th- I think that's, that's starting to change. I think it's starting to change more, you know, especially for the Ivy League. I think that's, you know, obviously the best perspective I have. You know, in the past 10 years or so, we're, we've made it to the, uh, you know, the second round almost, you know, more times than we have in the NCAA tournament. You know, Cornell in the Sweet 16 – uh, you know, seven or eight years ago, uh, Yale winning last year, Harvard winning a couple years before that. And then this year, uh, you know, we have a shot to win against Notre Dame. And while I still think, you know, mid-majors aren't getting the respect that they necessarily deserve uh, in terms of ranking, seedings, reputation, that sort of stuff, I think it's starting to change. And I think it's starting to uh, look up for, uh, you know, programs like Princeton. If Princeton wasn't in the Ivy League, what conference would they be best suited for? Um, you know, that's, that's a good question. I think, I think it's changed, uh, really since coach Henderson's been here, you know, the, the, the reputation of Princeton used to be slow you down, you know, run offense until some laps on the defensive end happens. And then we'll sort of pick you apart, cut back door, uh, something like that. But since I've been here, things have really picked up offensively. You know, we're, we'll, we'll shoot five, 10 seconds into the shot clock. If, if that's where you're giving us, or we'll, we'll push the ball on the break, that sort of stuff. And then defensively uh, we've gotten, you know, a lot better. So, and I, I think Princeton, uh, the way we're playing now could be, you know, seen in a league like the big 10 and that sort of stuff. And that, that probably stems from the fact that coach Henderson spent 11 years himself in that league. Would have been a good year to be in the big 10 too, to at least start out. It was a down year for them. <laughs> that's right. The fans, I'm assuming, the students have to be obviously as smart as the players that are out there. Have you? Did you hear any eloquent insults that came when you were on the road? Uh, a few, some creative signs and that sort of stuff. You know, some good cook puns, some other funny, funny quips here and there. But uh, you know, our our fans also. You know, I hear about what they're doing all the time on our end too. You know, putting up creative signs, creative chants, that sort of stuff. So. Yeah, they're definitely using their intellect when it comes to uh, some taunting and some jeering, that sort of stuff. Did you get any golf pointers from Jordan's brother, Steven Spieth, who plays for Brown? <laughs> uh, no, but I should have asked for some. Actually, now that spring's coming up, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll hit him up and he can, he can help me out a little bit. Okay, last question about the Ivy League, and then we'll, we'll move on. Every year prior to this year, the regular season champion in the Ivy League got the automatic bid into the tournament. With you guys going 16-0 and in conference play, did you enjoy the spotlight the league received with the inaugural conference tournament, or was there a time like when you guys were down 10 in the second half of the semifinal against a Penn team who was under 500 in conference and playing in their home gym that you thought, man, the old way is just looking pretty good right now? You know, like you said, it's, it's, it wasn't the ideal situa- situation to be playing in, and we always knew that was the possibility to be p- playing Penn on their home floor in the first round. You know, ever since we, we heard there was an Ivy League tournament to begin with. But, you know, the thing is, as a competitor, you know, as a college basketball player in his last year, it's hard not to, like, uh, 
an environment in a spot like like that, you know, playing on ESPN, uh, you know, in front of a bunch of your fans close to home uh, in a pl- in the Palestra, which is one of the most historic gyms in all of college basketball. It's pretty hard not to appreciate that, even if, you know, it ended up being a tough game and, you know, no complaints now because we, we came out on top, but it was definitely a tough situation. I'm not going to lie, but uh, hard not to love it at the same time. So your 28-win Nutrier team, your senior season, most in school history, the worst team in Division One NCAA this year was North Carolina A&T. They were 3-29. and Could that Nutrier team beat North Carolina A&T out of the MEAC? That's a good question. That is, that is a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to disrespect those guys at all. So, you know, I thought we were pretty good at Nutrier, but, uh, you know, college is a whole nother level. So I won't, I won't claim anything that, you know, I don't think I can back up. So I'll, I'll go, go with a no for that. <laughs> okay, I, I get it. Respect the college athletes. Respect your fellow college athletes. Could that team beat the 76ers? Ooh, uh, no, no. <laughs> I actually just went to a Sixers game, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and it's still incredible what those guys can do out there, even if you know their record isn't so so hot in the NBA right now. Let's move over to the two new Trier grads who faced off in the Ivy League several times. It was Stephen Cook versus Connor Bain of Dartmouth, and you guys played each other six times. You won five of them. So, right. so last year. His senior year, your junior year, you dropped 27 twice on them, which was three shy of your career high. And then an added element of competition in those games. Did you say, hey, it's go time when I'm playing against a former high school teammate? You know, there definitely is uh, added something there when you're playing against somebody you played with and uh, were close with for two years in high school. And, you know, I really, you know, love playing with Connor in high school. Uh, was a great teammate, great guy, great family too. So, I uh, have nothing but respect for him, uh, but you know it always definitely uh, it feels good to uh, to succeed against you know people you've you've played against in the past. So yeah, uh, it was a great experience. Well, hopefully you get that rematch with Jabari at some point then. Hey, yeah, I won't I won't turn that down. That's for sure. Let's go to a different comparison point then. Is Stephen Cook better at baseball or White Sox outfielder and Trevian grad, shout out class of 2011, Charlie Tilson, better at basketball? Oof, that is, that is a tough question. Well, I haven't really swung a bat since eighth grade, so if he's picked up a basketball since eighth grade, then uh, he's probably doing better than I will in uh, baseball. <laughs> so does that mean that 2011 is a better overall class of 1,100 people than 2013? Yeah, I didn't say that. I did not say that. You know, we had an incredible class in 2013. So, you know, that's still yet to be decided. Are you allowed to play regular pickup ball now in the gym now that the season's over? Uh, You know, I'm not against it. You know, I'm trying to take a couple weeks off right now just to sort of rest the body and the mind. But, you know, after that, I might have to get back back to it in uh, the pickup leagues. You, you've played pickup ball before, I'm sure. What's your least favorite pickup game personality stereotype? Probably the, uh, the, old, the person who's way too old in the pickup game to uh, actually be playing. And somehow that person always ends up on my team. And it's just a constant liability in, in a number of ways. So, you know, when I'm playing at a place like Lifetime or <laughs> something like that, that has to be the most frustrating pickup game basketball stereotype for sure. Do you think Princeton has room for a, a five-six walk-on who still has four years of eligibility, who's a pass-first point guard? Uh, you know, I was just talking to Coach Henderson. I can uh, I can shoot him a text. Uh, 
we'll we'll see uh we'll see what he says uh you know i'm not on the team anymore so i don't have much said but i'll do my best i mean robbie hummel was what like 28 when he was playing college ball so exactly it's possible all right you're about to officially become an alumnus of the ivy league once you graduate so Mm -hmm. so to wrap things up here we're gonna play a game called ivy league alumni baller or scholar okay there's the way this is gonna work is i'm gonna give you seven names and if you get four of them right, you'll you'll win the game. They're either a former Ivy League basketball player who went on to play at least one game in the NBA, or uh-huh. they are a scholar of the Ivy League in some other realm of the world. Okay, so, you ready? This is this is just uh, Princeton or or Ivy no, League in general. It spans the whole Ivy League. Okay, well I know my Princeton pretty well. Let's see how I know the the league. <laughs> All right, well, I'll start you off with a, a layup, if you will. Let's go Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin, he is a baller, that's for sure. He is a baller, and he did go to Harvard, and he's actually the only active NBA player that has come out of the Ivy League, and, of course, Stephen hoping to change that. Right. So you're 1-0. Let's go with number two. This is Namdi Azikiwe. Um, I will go with the scholar. He, he is a scholar. In fact, he came out of Penn. He studied anthropology in 1934, and he was the first president of Nigeria. Wow. So you're 2-0. and All right. There we go. Number three, Armand Hill. Mm. Baller. Absolute baller. Yes. Princeton. So I was hoping that you would get that one. <laughs> Eight years in the NBA with four teams in the late 70s and early 80s, and he's 3-0 and and looking for a clean sweep early on. Next up is Thomas Nagel. Uh, the name sounds familiar. Uh, I'm going to go with Baller. Thomas Nagel is actually a scholar, Ooh. a Cornell philosophy major in 1958, and most famous for the author of the book, What Is It Like to Be a Bat? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll, uh, I'll keep that one in mind. As, uh, that's your philosophy education for the day. So three and one. you got to get one of these next three. Okay. The next one is Ira Bowman. Ira Bowman. Uh, I'm going to go scholar on that one. Ira Bowman is a baller, and he went oh, to Penn. Geez. And you're 3-2. and two, 17 games in the mid-90s in the NBA. Two left. Here we okay. go. The next one. Gary Becker. Gary Becker. Well, let's see. No idea, but we've had two uh, ballers in a row, so I'm going to go scholar. And that's where the Ivy League education comes into play. You are correct, although I'm surprised you didn't know him because he was a Princeton economics major who won the Nobel Prize in 1992. All right. Well, learn something new every day. There you go. I I guess when you have a bunch of guys winning Nobel Prizes from Princeton, they don't all get halls named after themselves. (laughs) All right. So we'll do the last one for fun because you're four and two. The last one is Randy Lerner. Randy Lerner. Ah, these these last names all sound familiar, but I'm gonna go baller. Finishing at four and three, he was a scholar okay. of Columbia, and he's actually the current owner of the Cleveland Browns. So I don't know how much of a scholar he actually is, but <laughs> he's doing a good job. So go. we're almost done here. I got a couple more things that I'll wrap up with you before I let you go. The final question that I've been asking to my guests, uh, I call it "He Hate Me," and you said you're a fan, you're a big fan of the Bulls, so your answer might have something to do with the Chicago Bulls in the NBA, but the one person in the history of sports, your life as a fan, that you can't stand more than anybody else? 
the one person in in the sports world that I can't stand. Right, as a fan. As a fan, uh, you know, I used to say LeBron, but uh, that's since changed. Uh, you know, th- th- back in the day when he was he was doing the whole special on ESPN about where he was going and all that sort of stuff. But let's see, I'm not a very hateful person, so I don't hate too many people. Let's say, let's see. The one person I would probably pick right now is is uh, Steph Curry. Uh, I think wow. I, I respect him a lot. Respect him a lot as a basketball player. Uh, I think he has an incredible game. But you know, I think his his performance in the finals uh, was just extremely disappointing, both personally. I think uh, that's how the country reacted to you know dropping a three one lead. It's hard to get my respect, so uh, I'm gonna have to go with him. Wow, Steph Curry. Interesting response. So the, the way that I wrap things up here is with a thing called the 96 and a half second dash. So a minute and a half. You've been in the college game for four years. I asked my guests to get on their soapbox about something. So hop on and tell me what needs to change or maybe what doesn't within the sport. It's time for the 96 and a half second dash to the finish line. Here we go. Within the sport of college basketball, you know, I think affording affording kids more opportunities to uh, to sort of expand their lives beyond the basketball world, you know, is really important for you know a lot of college basketball guys, and it's it's something they don't really get to do during their uh, their time. And you know, I think a lot of kids' lives get so consumed by basketball that they don't really get to think about much else, uh, whether it's academic, service-wise, you know, or anything else in their lives. Uh, you know, going to Princeton, I I, I had. The opportunity to uh, to to experience those other aspects of the university and sort of expand those areas in my life, but you know I think that's something that can be a lot more valued at other schools, and you know I think uh, college basketball players in general would benefit a lot as a result. You can follow Stephen on Twitter at scookie25. He made up that username, not me. Stay tuned on Facebook and Twitter for more information on next week's guest of I Know a Guy. Stephen, it was great to get to know you, and thank you for the time here this week. Absolutely. Thanks again. We'll see you out in Phoenix for the Final Four and go check them out doing a community service project then maybe at Lifetime Fitness over in Evanston. So thanks for your time, Stephen. Really appreciate it, my friend. Yep, absolutely. Thanks. Thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of I Know a Guy. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast available soon on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. You can also catch it on soundcloud.com slash I know a guy and follow me on Twitter at Spence Siegel. Until next time, folks, I say adios. Adios.